All right, lads, um, today really interested as always, but specifically so because of the size of the challenge that we're going to be talking about. The Doratus Mind podcast um, today welcomes Johnny Payne and Fergus Crawley. Nice to have you, lads. Nice to be here. Some will have heard um, through all of our promotions of, of what you're doing and some won't have heard um, about what you're doing and who you are. Do you mind giving um, us a little sort of snapshot about um, Firstly, who you are, I guess. Johnny, do you want to start? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm uh, Johnny Payne, <laughs> strength and conditioning coach uh, by trade, uh, and uh, involved in this project as, as having been part of uh, Fergus's previous um, three years worth of uh, fundraising for mental health campaigns. I have a background in MMA, uh, BJJ, and have been a coach looking after extreme endurance athletes uh, and, and athletes across the board in, in what we call a, a hybrid environment for probably about 15 years. By hybrid, uh, I mean uh, looking at disparate ends of the spectrum, so looking after guys uh, and girls who want to be strong uh, and possibly uh, competitive in strength and power sports at the same time as being able to be endurant, if you like. So. Sorted. Thanks for that. I, I just on that. I mean, that's something everybody wants to be strong and fast, don't they? And, and endurance. And but very few people know how to program for that. So I, I, I will genuinely kind of take opportunity to dig into that a little bit more, Johnny. But uh, Fergus, Fergus, do you want to? Yeah. So I am Fergus Crawley. I am subject to Johnny's fitting surname, as he has been my coach for three years now. After we actually connected as a result of the first stupidity um, sort of quest, really. I was introduced to him through a mutual friend where I said, look, I'm doing this charity project. There is a bit of a unique challenge involved in this that re requires building up an aerobic base alongside a strength base. And here we are. So three years later, I'm a couple of Movember campaigns deep, having started the process as a result of my own experience with mental ill health and a suicide attempt in May of 2016. I'm sure we'll get into it, but I was very much in the camp that perpetuated traditional masculine values of strength is weakness. Sorry, strength is, is not showing vulnerability and vulnerability is weakness. Exposing feelings is not the mark of a real man, et cetera, et cetera. And had a very black and white metric system metric system which ultimately meant that my uh, wiggle room to be a failure or a success was very very narrow and too often I slipped into the mindset that I was a complete and utter failure but we'll, we'll get into all that I'm sure but for the purposes of introductions here Johnny and I are embarking upon a significant um, endurance challenge this year as part of the third November campaign the message has always been around being a man of more words because talking can save lives I know firsthand how powerful words can be and how little I utilize them when I was suffering myself. And the message this year and the reason that we're doing it together rather than solo as I have done for the past couple of years is that ultimately we're better fighting through adversity together openly, honestly, and as a unit, because as men, we are human beings. And ultimately that's all, that's all we are when you break us down. Absolutely. And, and I can, completely relate to that i love it i i love the challenge I, i've kind of watched it heard about it some months ago johnny and i were talking and uh I've, I've watched it grow and i genuinely am interested with this 
experience for a number of reasons. One, I think so many people can connect to it. I think it's something that is so relatable to so many people on the, the, the mental health side of it. Um, but also from, from your two's perspectives, uh, you know, the, the Duratus Mind podcast really is about how people um, of any background can do what they or apply themselves to what it is they want to do and, and get some form of success. And, and both of you have demonstrated that in, in your field. And, and, I'm, and I'm keen as we go on in the chat to kind of unpick those qualities and attributes that you've had to use, find, lean into, sometimes through being strong, sometimes, you know, breaking down and, and finding your low points. And I know that's something that you've both had experiences of. So really keen to, um, to talk it through. Um, I think it'd be wise and, and, and quite nice to, to play the video that you've knocked together. And uh, if it's okay with you two, I'll just let you two give a little bit of an overview of, of the challenge itself as the video plays and everyone gets to see that. Are you, are you both happy with that? Yep. Yeah, much so, yeah. 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 We'll uh, try and not trip over each other's words as we go, but. Well, Fergus, if you lead off and you can, you can describe the, the, uh, how we got to this position and, and the challenge itself, I think that helps. Yeah, so we are here, and um, this is not far from Fort William, which is where Ben Nevis is based, for those that might not be aware. However, we are now very familiar with the mountain that you're seeing here, as on the 1st of November, we aim to scale it up and scale it down 32 times to accumulate the vertical gain of a marathon. So 26.2 miles, 42.2k up the way which is not something that's been done before in a continuous effort, as far as I'm aware. Please feel free to let us know if, um, if anyone knows of otherwise. But we are, we are going to get to know this mountain very well. We've had a huge amount of support, and the message is ultimately around, exactly as Gaza said, something that I think we can all connect to, which is the concept of uphill battles. We all have our own mountains to face. We all have our, all, our own hills to climb. There's peaks, there's troughs, there's highs, there's lows. And we're better off getting through them together. And as a metaphor, we feel that the project represents something that we can all relate to, whether we've suffered from mental health in a negative sense or just the, the, the ebbs and flows of day-to-day -day life. There is a big message here and putting one foot in front of the other. And it is ultimately as simple as that. So this is one summit here. And sadly, that doesn't count towards the total, but there are 31 additional ones to follow after that. So break it down, it'll be 32 summits up and down, 336 miles total, and a whole lot of variable Scottish weather and misery along the way. Amazing, mate. So where did you get the idea? My brain's a weird place, guys. Don't ask questions you don't <laughs> want the answer to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> No, nah, so there's a sickness in Fergus. You should see my my little notepad I've got, my little black book. Um, it's an interesting thing from my but let, let's just jump in there, Fergus, and I'll, I'll let you come back to, to how you come up with it. But it's a very interesting thing to watch unfold, actually. There's a, there's a, a mechanic behind putting these things together, which is very touching in a strange way. I don't think Fergus has heard me say this before, really. But each of the challenges, and, and maybe some point during our chat, we can go back and look at some of the ones we've done previous as well, but each of the challenges that the Fergus has taken on has had a, a, a kind of an extreme physical element to it. Some, some way of kind of beasting himself through something that seems, you know, ridiculous to, to, to the casual onlooker. And the training that's gone into that has gone to a point where you can do those things, but each of them has had a, a, a 
a connection to to mental health and to, and to the to the causes that we're looking at, and we'll discuss more uh, in a very creative way that, that's allowed uh, allowed Fergus not just to continue with these uh, processes, but has allowed them to shed a very very keen light on on the on the problems that uh, that we're trying to kind of raise awareness of. Uh, so when you look at it. As, as just the challenge that it is and you can see it as just you know we're just going up and down a mountain over and over and I know sometimes I've, I've, I've described it that way and been been kind of chided for it a little bit you know we're just going up and down a mountain or whatever but actually the uh, the concept behind it is, is really really quite excellent and I'm always impressed by how these challenges come about and you know how they, how they, how they come from just a seed in Fergus's mind and, and then then he lays up at my door and I have to, I have to actually get a spoken some kind of shape for him. So it's interesting. So if you can describe that, Fergus, I'd be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again. No, there, there, there was actually a bit of a formula to it in that my logic's always been just before I had any experience in fundraising, any experience in doing this sort of thing, my logic was always, I mean, it's not a trained marketeer in any sense. I mean, I do work in a marketing department, to be fair, so I probably shouldn't be saying that, but... Um, people need a hook people need a hook that captivates them to be able to get the message that you want and ultimately no matter how powerful your message is some people just won't care and you need to find some sort of affinity some sort of connection with things that people are doing and familiarity most and most of all i think and my logic has always been use the challenge as the hook to draw people into the message. Because if they're fascinated by the challenge from a physical point of view, there's no way that they can be involved in the journey without taking on board the message. Because I'll try very, very hard to ram it down their throats. But it's, it is, there is logic to it. And that, for example, my first challenge was, I, I simply had the logic, I was sat in a coffee shop in London, I remember the coffee shop well. And I was actually, it was, it was my first, I don't wanna say relapse, but my first moment of, poor mental health following my initial experience in this was 2018 my period of depression was 2014 to 2016 but in 2018 I was working in London sat at a laptop and I just got this overwhelming white noise as I was putting fingers to keyboard and just knew right take a second you've been here before what was missing last time fulfillment okay therefore what do you need to do you need to find some sort some source of fulfillment to try and bring yourself out of this hole because then that will allow you to move forwards with work move forwards with other things because right now it's kind of a bit of a paralysis in my head because of that lack of fulfillment so i thought what are you good at i'm good at squatting i'd squatted in a weightlifting term yeah as a weightlifter <laughs> rather than just going from house to no, house yeah, I, I, yeah. I, living in london was very cheap when you're good at squatting actually it's, it's the only, <laughs> excellent it's london squat close close to local amenities as yeah. estate agents would like to say um but i yeah i had a background in powerlifting for four years competitively um competed internationally and things as well so i'd squatted seven no, sorry 272.5 kilos which is 600 pounds um, I was a bit heavier and chunkier back then, but I done it. That was that was sort of my skill at the time. And I thought, okay, charity, what's interesting to you? Movember, you've done a bit with them in the past with rugby. Bit of a talking point with the moustache. That's something that can sort of be a focal point for other people to get involved. Why do you want to do it? Well, because I've had my own experience with men's mental health. I should probably make it about that because that's very topical. At this stage, I had absolutely zero intention of sharing my own story. And I just thought, okay, what's meaningful to you? The, the sort of general concept of suicide and how 
suicide shouldn't be happening to men around the world because I, I'd experienced it firsthand. It wasn't something I really confronted too much, but it was something that I'd considered. And I thought, okay, looked up the statistics. And according to November's website, there were 500,000 male suicides globally every year. I looked online. What's the world record for the most amount of weight squatted in 24 hours? Obviously, that's where your head goes. And then thought, okay, there's a neat way I can approach this, which is I can use the statistic of 500,000 as the focal point for the challenge, but I can attempt a physical feat, which is enough of a hook to get people on board with that statistic. So my first significant challenge was attempting to squat half a million kilos in 24 hours to represent the half a million male suicides every single year. And that was something that worked, I think it just immediately caught people's attention because one, it made them consider a statistic that they hadn't previously considered. And it made them think, what the fuck are you doing that for? Like, <laughs> why, are you getting, why, what on earth? And then once I actually put it out there, I was overwhelmed with positive responses from my immediate social circle, mutual social circles, et cetera, that actually two weeks later basically gave me the confidence to be like, you know what? I'm not as insane and weird and out of the ordinary as I thought I was with the experience that I had. I think there was a bit of a duty here for me to share my story as part of this process. And that kind of springboarded me to where I am now, which is it gave me the confidence that that formula brings people in. And most importantly, it brings new people in because it allows you to, to captivate them with one thing and engage them with another. And that's the approach that I've taken from there on out. And that's how we've got to, Diverse. I kind of haven't even remotely answered the question yet, but I've set the scene, I guess. But the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the vertical marathon was the, my, my first thought was it, the thought process was, okay, Scottish mountains is where you feel most at home, most at peace, most cathartic, most reflective. How do you incorporate them? Dotted around a few things and thought, okay, that's not going to work. That's too niche. You're not going to break the Monroe record, all that stuff, too heavy. And then thought, okay, marathons what's been done ross edgley's done it pulling a car um someone's probably swam it several times or something i mean the channel's not far off a marathon people have done it carrying certain things all that stuff i thought i don't think anyone's ever done one up the way <laughs> and then did a bit of digging couldn't find anything and the metaphor started to really play on me because of the mountain Mountains out of molehills, uphill battles, peaks, troughs, ups, downs, all these things. I mean, it, I don't want to trivialize it, but for me, it's just the perfect metaphor. And it's something that Johnny and I discuss a lot and why we love the hills so much is because the only way, other than Snowden, that you can get to the top of a mountain and experience that is through your own hard work, your own peaks and troughs, your own determination, and your own self-doubt learnings that gets you there. And no matter what level you are, no matter how skilled able, fit, unfit you are, you get to the top by your own doing. And you get there by dealing with the peaks and troughs, dealing with the ups and downs, and learning along the way. I do love it, Fergus. I think there's a few sort of key components to that, that you are so adept and sort of well, you've, you've thought deeply about these things that you can just move through. But there's that that sense of you know all those years or those few years back when you you, you recognized yourself and we were all familiar with this that there's there's a lack of fulfillment and that is what was causing this this issue and and you know you were i know from your story that you've you've said before sort of there was high expectations of you when you were younger you would be classed as you know 
high achiever kind of status that you you carried in in some ways was was burdened by that and then you've also said there about so we'll, we'll unpick that a little bit you know the fulfillment you get from ultimately sharing this message and getting people to think and reflect about their own situation and, and normalizing these crazy thoughts and and kind of activities that we all kind of have and you know this this thinking we've got but also you mentioned around contribution and this service to others um and again there's there's all kinds of research on um human needs and a lot of people miss this big one off where the world seems to be all about taking and achieving things for you and doing this and but actually there's so much strength in this this power of contribution to others it's why people volunteer to do all kinds of uh, things for other people but there's a lot of people that aren't hooking themselves into this and it seems like you've recognized that so do you mind just quickly tapping into that fergus firstly and fulfillment you can get from contributing to others yeah yeah i mean it's a, it's a conversation i have a lot and it's still one that i'm i'm figuring out but ultimately for me as a young man i feel i'm quite lucky in many ways to have come to the conclusion early doors through a traumatic experience albeit that the metric that i should have as my north star in life is my sense of purpose my sense of fulfillment and not the things that i was led to believe should be my north star and fulfillment to me is different to fulfillment to you and for different to fulfillment fulfillment to johnny and to everyone listening to this and that's the beauty of it, is that it's up to you to explore. It's up to you to figure that out for yourself. But the only way you can get there is by trying new things, is by experiencing different paths. It's by not being too rigid in your metrics, your approach to day-to-day things, and paralyzing yourself by almost societal prerequisites, which are ingrained into us from a young age. And that, that's something that I felt subject to. And I'll, I'll dig into it a bit now, but the... You summarise it a little bit. I, I left school um, having just just failed to get into Oxford. That was sort of the big first knock for me as a young man, um, following three concussions in four weeks playing rugby. So within a short space of time, I had my aspirational, not I wasn't on any specific pathways to greatness or anything, but I was an aspirational rugby player. I had that element taken away from my life, but I quickly filled that void with just general progressive health and fitness. Squatting in London. <laughs> that was a few years later that was a few years later but um yeah it was it was I just love the I love the black and whiteness of it in that you put in work you reap rewards and that complemented my day-to-day life well it gave me a physical outlet that I was missing from rugby ended up going to Durham um purely on the premise that that was the sort of second best option for me I'd made my decision on my college based on the fact it was self-catering as I was very into my nutrition and wanted to manage my own food not realizing that the personality of the person around you at a college-based university is largely dictated by the college that you're in. So I was quickly surrounded by lovely people, in fairness, but not quickly realized that they weren't going to be friends for life and I wasn't surrounded by like-minded individuals. And that was a bit of a bit of a shock because I'd come from a really close-knit community, always been at the forefront of things and always um, just sort of molded myself really easily around the surroundings I was in. And I didn't really do anything about it. I kind of just thought, this is the way things are. They'll improve. But I was also competing in an individual sport at a very team-based university. So all of a sudden, I didn't have any social circles. And I felt very lonely. I felt very isolated. And what's worse is that all my friends elsewhere were having the time of their lives. And they weren't having any of the problems that I had. And I thought, you know what? This isn't 
this isn't the way things were meant to go. And I think that that's that was always my logic is that there was a there was a path, there was a stepping stone, there was a this to that, that to that to there, and all this stuff that made me think that it would just resolve itself almost. And long story short, retrospectively diagnosed with quite severe and developing depression from as soon as I started university through to my exam period in second year in about May 2016. And I got progressively worse and worse and worse, didn't say a word to anyone and actually worked harder and harder and harder to make sure that nobody could figure out that I was suffering. And I would do my utmost to put on a brave face, say that I was doing okay, come up with stories here, lies there to try and convince people I was okay, going above and beyond to make it seem like I was fine. And that's exhausting for anyone that's been there. You know how exhausting that is. And it's a bit topical. It's a phrase that I don't want to use, but I was wearing a mask um, and it was, it was a real challenge. It was stifling. And the cumulative effect of that is just exhaustion. And as somebody that genuinely wholeheartedly did not believe that depression was a real thing until I suffered from it, because I, as a driven young man, I thought it was an excuse, a convenient excuse for people to avoid responsibility or yeah. progress or challenge or drive. When I started getting split in half by weights at the gym that I should be able to do with my eyes closed, I couldn't sleep for days at a time. And then when I did fall asleep, I was sleeping for 30 hours. I couldn't eat. I was being sick whenever I had a sip of alcohol. I was just all just in so many ways physically affected by this. And that's when it became quite overwhelmingly real. And a week passed where I realized I hadn't said a word out loud to another human being other than a sort of member of the public in Costa or Tesco or something. And at that moment, I just felt so overwhelmingly alone that I decided that the preferable option to being honest about how I was feeling was death. That was how perpetually masculine I was in that I would rather be dead than admit that I was suffering and the biggest lesson that I've taken from that is just how wrong I was because when I actually came around in a puddle of my own sick however many hours later I was just flooded with rage because the first proactive initiative I had taken to pull myself out of the hole I was in hadn't come off and at that moment, I felt more useless, more miserable, more of a failure than I ever had done before, but slowly came around to the idea that actually there was a bit of a desperate situation here. And that was the first time that I'd been forced to actually acknowledge that something is really quite wrong and got a message the following day from one of my best friends saying, I'm getting a, a puppy from this litter next week, you in. He was fully joking, wasn't expecting me to say yes, but at that moment, I was just convinced yes that is exactly what I need it was sense of purpose sense of fulfillment structure reason to get up in the morning reason to continue to exist because my life was responsible for another and ultimately OD walking conversations just speaking to people in the street was the first step on me becoming a much much more genuine version of myself again and there's no need to dwell on the details there but basically conversation that was galvanized by me having a reason to talk to people just got me to the point where I was comfortable six months later to explain to my family what, what I'd gone through. But the, the sole starting point was actually just having simple top line, not emotional, deep conversations, just simple conversations 
that scratched the surface on the fact that actually I wasn't doing all that well. well so if I was to ask you one, to put your finger on the one thing that was the, because I think a lot of people will, you know, I, I, I feel quite lucky. You know, I, I, I've kind of, I guess, through choice, put myself in a number of situations where um, it would be considered quite taxing and mentally taxing for sustained periods of time career-wise at various different family issues that have the fallout of that but I still feel like I've I've been able to maintain um, some form of control I never and I've and I've witnessed friends you know commit suicide and you know um, and colleagues and never really understood it and that that mask of there's Lewis Howes, isn't it? That's written a book, Masks of Masculinity. And I think um, that is one of the biggest things I think. And this is one of the reasons I do this podcast, really just that authenticity of just being honest with the levels of vulnerability that we all need to manage rather than this mask of masculinity, i.e. strength and that male ego. But uh, what would you say was the one thing that, drove you so so low i think the i mean it was an ongoing spiral and i think i think the biggest compounding factor was probably the fact that i felt so guilty for feeling bad in the first place because i was so critical in the sense that i mean i had a loving family i had a support network i could access i was i had a roof over my head i could eat i wasn't awe-stricken there's so many worse things going on in the world how on earth are you this miserable and useless and paralyzed by your own mind and it was the self-criticism that came with that that really drove me deeper and deeper down but ultimately that self-criticism was only there because I didn't have a soundboard to discuss it with and it was an echo chamber inside my own head that meant there was no balancing point and I think had I been saying some of the things out loud to someone else that I've been saying inside my own head there would have been a much more rational response and that would have allowed me to rationalize my own thoughts a lot more and therefore the spiral wouldn't have necessarily gone as far as it did so i think if i was to summarize that in a, into a singular into a singular thing it would be there were these roles i needed to fill these things i needed to do these these tasks these metrics that i needed to hit and if i fell short of them i was useless as a human being and and what i'm hearing Fergus, is that that the only metric that you had was your own thinking on that because you weren't sharing any of this and you weren't Correct. talking to other people. Again, again, one of the things that I think where you know, again, the organisation used to work in the the feeling that you had as that community that kind of understood each other's needs. Then there was occasions. I'm not going to profess that we're always great at it, but there are occasions and there was occasions where you're sharing those experiences with people that fully understand the challenges that you're facing. And that, and I work now with elite police, elite, I work with elite sport and those communities, those that you've got is, uh, is the thing that really understand those, those people that are like you really understand the issues that you, you're going to be talking about. Um, just Johnny, and just moving on to your you said strength and conditioning coach. I know it's sort of so much more than that, but you know when we're talking earlier on about the things that give people fulfillment, um, you know that contribution to others. You, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but 
I understand the strength of being a coach, but also the mentorship side of it, that sounding board. I mean, do you want to elaborate for people listening of where, how you find yourself in that, that job role and, and kind of your purpose through being a coach, et cetera? Well, it's an interesting one uh, uh, in a sense, because it leads back to not the similar conversation that, that, that Fergus is having or, or thoughts that he's putting across. We, in fact, Fergus and I were talking earlier on the phone and uh, his uh, uh, experiences with mental health, negative experiences and the positive experiences have been the driving force behind this, this project and the other projects. Uh, and my involvement in it has, has been much as a coach. Uh, and I haven't talked publicly. Uh, I, I'm not uh, ashamed or, 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 you know, or sensitive about it, but I haven't actually talked publicly about my own struggles with mental health. But they kind of lead me to this point, interestingly. And, and it's interesting to listen to Fergus talk there because I've, I've, I've talked to Fergus more than, more than most, I would say, just the amount of time we spent in, on that bastard hill anyway. And, and, <laughs> and so I know a lot of what he's saying, but I'm always taking, and I'm always listening, I can, I can, I can pick up on some things. And there's, there's moments, and you mentioned the word earlier on about normalizing uh, experiences where you kind of think, oh, me too, which is hugely part of this, this process, isn't it? So it's interesting to hear uh, and to listen again about the journey that brings us to this point, because my the reason I'm a coach is because of you know, sort of terrible experiences with mental health in a roundabout way, or maybe in a direct way. You tell me, I'll open up a little bit, and you can you can <laughs> you can tell me whether I'm uh, on the right track. But the, I I worked many moons ago uh, in, in forensic psychiatric health, um, so I, I I I saw uh, a lot of illness, uh, very very. Uh, acute illness. We're looking after people who were who were criminally uh, involved and had done things that they probably weren't capable of even understanding they'd done. Uh, and, and in that process, we also looked after lots of people who were on the verge of uh, continually attempting suicide and things. And you mentioned earlier on you, you've had friends who've who've gone through that yourself. <clears throat> I witnessed that and tried to stop it and had to clean up, if you like, after it uh, more times than I care to remember. And at the time, in actual fact, was ironically not very well myself at all I was um, uh, really quite ill and actually while working in mental health I see it's kind of funny now but while working in mental health I was sectioned twice myself and once in the same space that I had been working in luckily nobody seemed to seem to mention that much but but uh, I got quite ill a few times uh, and, and at, at the time as a young man we're talking the very early 20s there didn't even really register it didn't it's just a thing that was happening and in the, in the way I was as well, I was um, medicating that quite a lot in various different ways. Well, in all the ways you can imagine, let's, let's be honest. I'm assuming um, here, Johnny, we're, we're talking negative coping strategies versus positive coping strategies. Yeah, that's, okay. that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah drowning it out and make enough noise in your own head that you can't hear the noises that you should be listening to was the kind of almost, uh, uh, you know, on, on purpose, you know, rather than this just being a route I went down, it was, it was an easy way to silence uh, the, the literal voices. Um, so through that, uh, I, I eventually, I, I embarked on a different career. That, that was tough. That was, that was a, a job that you can only last a certain amount of time in before you get really drawn in. Certainly I could anyway. I eventually became part of an, a, a sort of a national network of, of fellas that would respond to really high-end incidents in, in, in mental health. So we would go to... Uh, um, uh, large acute mental health institutes and, and be the sort of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The sort of reaction team. So it was always kind of frontline uh, 
danger. It was tough and, and there was a burnout point. And there was a point at which I just didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, so I moved into a kind of a very corporate world. So I kind of three lives I've had, if you like, in terms of work. And in the corporate world, I was working for a, for a really large uh, uh, recruitment company looking for um, foster care uh, uh, well, workers. And even that, even saying it that way is quite, quite strange. We were looking for parents, really. But we were looking for foster carers uh, that we would then sell into government situations. So the government would have a shortfall uh, and we would go in and tender again. So my job was actually to write the contracts and tenders for these uh, uh, children to have care. Wow. In that process, it was very corporate. It's very recruitment. Uh, 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 you know, the, the, the absolute sort of capitalism really isn't it. So it was really quite hard to, to then marry that up against the idea that, that I had to then understand all the files of these children who some of them were going through horrific experiences and then monetize that uh, and sell that back in in some way and sit in front of procurement leads and all the rest of it and sell this stuff in. And, and slowly through that process, I, I've kind of gotten to a point where I was relatively doing relatively well in my own mental health, so certainly coping. I certainly had enough to do to distract me. Uh, but it wasn't fulfilling at all. In fact, it was, it was terribly unfulfilling because I felt like I was adding to the problem. As I say, I was kind of monetizing this stuff and it just didn't sit well with me. So I became more and more entrenched. It was a very hard job as well, it was 120 hour weeks and constantly traveling up and down the country in charge of a team of people, all this kind of stuff, stuff that I never even wanted to do. How I even fell into that is beyond me. So all, all these years later, uh, I'd been doing that maybe maybe 10 years or so by this point uh, and, and become a, a a director of a group of companies in this sort of business development role and hated it. Hated it with, with an absolute passion and I wasn't doing anything for anybody, which kind of brings us slowly back to the coaching. Through, through that kind of constant corporate uh, servitude, if you like, uh, I got ill again, I got very ill. So it's not dissimilar to Fergus's story in a, in a certain sense, is that I got ill because I wasn't really being true to myself. I wasn't really listening to that noise saying you're not doing the right thing. And when I did hear it, I had this idea, this kind of, again, this sort of overly masculine idea that I needed to do it. At this point, I had children, uh, two of them, I've got four now, but uh, I was, I couldn't step away from it, uh, fear of not fulfilling my duty, uh, which was to look after them and do the things I promised I'd do and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I became more and more ill and more and more sort of tortured by this idea that I must continue doing something I hated to do until eventually I had a kind of a breakdown where I was found walking up and down this street, which you can't see just outside here, in my dressing gown, yelling at birds that were making too much noise, which turned out weren't there. So, <laughs> so I got quite ill. And, and, um, uh, but uh, that's going to force the communication. I had to then talk about it because I was going nowhere with it. Uh, and and realised that around me all the time had been not only the, the support that I needed, uh, had always been there, I'd just been ignoring it. Uh, but they'd actually been trying to talk to me throughout. It was kind of a revelation. It was like, oh, all right, there's there's things I could do positively here that are very, very different. And one of which was my mum, who's passed, God bless her, but she was she said, well, you know, very direct, what is it you actually want to do? You know, what is it? Question. It's a great you know, question. Which, which seems so strange that you've never asked yourself that question, but what you know, what is it that fulfills you? And this is the, the, the theme of this conversation. There's um, and I said, I just like helping people. And I didn't really have a, a way to, to get from that idea to how would you help people? So my mom said, you know, how are you going to help people? A, if you can't help yourself. And B, if you haven't even decided how. So how are you going to help people? What are you good at? We all know what you're good at, but you have, you know. So it went round and round. And I was fighting. I was um, 
I was fighting professionally in MMA and, and uh, getting some thrill out of that for obvious reasons. But I was very good at, at detailing information, certainly about the strength side of things and nutrition, stuff that I had a kind of a passion for and understood. Uh, and I was just doing that anyway for people. Uh, so the kind of obvious approach was if I can find a way of making a living, even a, even a, a small living, just enough to get us by, while being able to help and see somebody achieve something and see somebody else come through from the beginning to the end of their journey and, and have a moment during that where I know I've helped, I've imparted some knowledge or physically helped or I've taken them through a, a moment of understanding where they kind of get something that was, that was a barrier for them. I, I realised that those had been the moments of happiness, happiness over the previous decade that I'd uh, kind of connected with. I'm like, well, why don't I just do that all the time and offer myself? somehow a service to others and and that's been that's been it since and, and that's how Ferguson and I came about. I love that I love that I like how I know there's going to be a lot of people listening and you're talking about you found yourself in a job that you hated and you didn't even know how you got there I I, I coach people one-to-one -one, mentor some you know a blend between the two really depending on the people I speak to and the amount of people the, you know, the, the high proportion of people that are doing stuff, they don't have no idea how they've ended up doing what it, what it is they do and spend a career doing that. And they're, they're looking for this self-actualization, as Maslow would put it, but yeah. they're not even on a course for it because they, they don't even enjoy what they do, right? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people listening that will relate to that. Um, and, and just give people an understanding, again, because I, <clears throat> I hear you say that and I've been there transitioning out of my old career I had no idea where I where I would fit where I could fit because of my experiences you know aren't particularly on the face of it applicable into um, modern society and I kind of thought well I love to help people I genuinely enjoy and I've realized through a number of different mechanisms that that, that sense of fulfillment you get from contributing to others is 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 almost I believe what we're here for that that kind of community kind of uh support and you know working together on projects it's so powerful for me and i thought well i'm, I'm just going to continue my, my old job kind of led me into doing it as well and i started to do it and, and, and from doing it you find a path and just can you try and relate um john if you don't mind to people that transition from being in a space in a world where you you're hating life and you don't even see where it's going to where you're in a career where it feels super scary going into this new world but the the enjoyment the fulfillment that you can get from having it is 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 worth that that kind of unknown it's, it's night and day isn't it it's, it's uh yeah it's it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's worth it uh, in all the ways you can possibly describe i had gone the the uh and there's some there's some beauty in, in, in realizing this uh, at the time uh, at that corporate job that i was talking about i earned a lot of money, six figures and, and bonuses. Which, which in Scotland is, you're a millionaire, right? Well, yeah, yeah, we're, we're talking about that's eight figures in Scotland. <laughs> actually, actually, funny, I was down, in, uh, down near you then, at that point, okay. I was down in, in Nottingham. Yeah, yeah you're still, well, you're but, still a millionaire around me, so yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. So I was doing well, I was doing, doing very well, on the face of it. So, uh, so all, all the things that went with it, which I still talk about because they were bloody fun to have. I had some, some real nice cars and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but none of it was bringing me any any real joy. It was all again distractions. But we went. The reason I'm bringing that up was we went from that kind of that, that money and, and the apparent security of it to uh, to almost zero because 
I'd also spent most of it. <laughs> I was constantly buying the crap that I'm telling you about. So we, we didn't have savings and we didn't have any money, but I, I needed out of this situation. Um, and I also, I, I was doing these coaching, I was coaching people, but I had no um, qualifications in coaching. You know, I had nothing to be able to say to somebody, well, I'm, I'm qualified and I'm educated in this. It was just, oh, we know a guy and that, that's, that's the best I could do. So I had to go and did go to university. Uh, which was a very strange experience because I was about 32, 33 and everybody else was just straight out of school and, and, and uh, which made it, I mean, I'm sure it's daunting for, for kids just going to the university for the first time. But Fergus can speak to that. His, his first experience of university uh, was good, but also also powerfully, powerfully negative at times. And so going in as, a, as an adult uh, with all these kind of young'uns around was, was, quite, was quite hard, but it was very freeing. I felt that, that the... Um, the the point of it was always present uh, almost in the suffering and, and it was so we had no money we were very scared about how we were going to continue with all the things that people would be scared about the rates looking after the kids all, all that kind of stuff i took on as many little jobs as i could which which i didn't want to do nobody wants to push shopping trolleys around and, and all that kind of stuff but i took on what I, what I needed to do to get to get you know through but even then those jobs seem somehow fulfilling because it was for a purpose you know there was oh, this is this is so i can get towards my dream and i remember saying to ashley my wife uh, about this this is ridiculous looking back on it but maybe about a month into studying so we're maybe two months uh, uh, from me having thrown in the towel and walked away from the corporate job what do i tell people i do if, if they if they ask what my job is and obviously i wanted my job to be what it is now is i wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach and, and a performance nutritionist so I said, shall I just say that? <laughs> and she said, no, you can't say that. That's lying. You have to say you're a student. And I said, well, I feel silly saying I'm a student. So we had this kind of joke about it. And it was only about know, maybe a year ago or so I reminded her of that and said, uh, well, I can say that now, can't I? And, uh, and she said, yes, you can. That's it. <laughs> but there's, a big, there's a big time in the middle there where we were, we were, we were scared. And, and, but part of that fear uh, was good. I, I always felt good. It felt like... Uh, not knowing what was coming next was still pointedly better than knowing what was coming next was just going to be a constant repeat of this same torture. So knowing that I had to, you know, leading it back to this, climb this kind of mountain of, of fear every day, going into this university and feeling out of place, and maybe the same that everybody feels, maybe I'm going to fail, maybe I'm not as clever as I hoped I was and, and all this kind of stuff. It still felt like there was a purpose to it, and, and that, was, that was vastly different and uh, really very freeing, in fact. I'm hearing suffering as a privilege, kind of being like understanding that that suffering, that pain that you're going through, actually, if you can, it's it's on a journey to where you're wanting to go for starters. Then, then yeah, yeah. It was, I don't want to get philosophical, but it was Nisha, wasn't it? That said something along the lines of, "He who has a strong enough why can bear almost any how." And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, we're not we're talking about university, so I just want to give it context. But we're we're talking university <laughs> with two or four children at the time and um you know and, and responsibility accountability as a dad and there's pressures on there as the yeah. as the man of the house to provide for his family and all these things that people will be able to relate to that are listening i'm sure um so that suffering is a privilege kind of brings us quite nicely onto where you're at today and uh the, the the suffering that you're about to be so privileged to to face um in the project <laughs> itself so starting to feel like less of a privilege that one i'll, I'll be honest too right too right <laughs> How, Fergus, how well do you know Ben Nevis right now? Um, well enough to know I think it's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
people want some context. You know, I can hear up and down Ben Nevis 32 times. I've never been up it. So um, I'll, I'll not too soon be scaling it for the first time. I know you heard the little snipe at Snowden, um, but, you know, that Snowden's my mountain and uh, my challenge. And, uh, you know, explain to people listening, they're kind of, uh, you know, you've done you've done four in a day is that right so far did you do three in your three training? in a day three in a, three day. In a day so, so talk to us both of you really like what what the challenge is that going up and down a mountain ben nevis that people have got in fact let me give some context to this because i i know i know nims really well and nims is pretty proficient at climbing mountains and you know i, I feel like i'm pretty pr proficient at suffering on physical challenges as well um not recently but you know in in the past and and I understand. I still struggle to understand how difficult what NIMS has achieved. Does that make sense? And yeah. I was intimately involved with it in stages and uh, I spoke to him every, uh, very regularly through the process and was listening to the stories. I'm really looking forward to the book to give me more. I just can't understand how difficult it is. So um, talk to us about sort of three times in one day going up and down like what are the what are the challenges that you face what like the first thing in the morning where 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 where's your heads at what time are you starting what was that day we, we were up at we were up at four weren't we, we? Up at four and we were on, on the mountain i think about quarter to five was it that day we eventually got started uh, quarter past i think it was because we we um we had a bit we made sure we had a big breakfast um <laughs> we, had a, we had we had a far, farmer's breakfast of as much Scottish local produce as we could find. And haggis and black pudding there, aren't we? There was haggis and black pudding involved, yes. Oh, there was indeed, yeah. Neeps and tatties, yeah, that's all we're talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we uh, we shot a whiskey to get us going as well, eh? Um, but we we felt ropey in the morning, to be honest, because it was it was, it, it was a mix of tiredness, but also just oh, three times. <laughs> it was... Up, we've been up to the day before as well. We've been up, yeah. uh, in fact, the video that you showed earlier on, we've been up filming a bit of that with uh, Sam from Rolling Rogues. And, and uh, we weren't particularly tired from that, but having done it the day before and then knowing, and this is interesting because we're going to have to do this in much more uh, magnitude, really, but having done it the day before and knowing that we're going to have to do it three times a day after, made getting to the mountain that day. We were about, what, 25 minutes away uh, Yeah. Uh, on, on that day. It made that journey quieter, I think, or, or the vibe was very different on the way there. Um, and and yeah. I don't think either of us thinks that three times was was massively challenging, but... There's nothing uh, to look forward to was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just not, nothing other than we knew it was going to get steadily busier throughout the day. We were going to get more and more pissed off due to conge congestion, which is ultimately part of the issue, like the fact that we were getting pissed off by things out with our control is good because it means that we'll be better conditioned for that stuff when it comes. And the conditioning will yield from going up and down it three times whilst frustrated will carry over better to going up and down it four times when we're not frustrated, for example. But I think the problem is we were, we were, we were driving there. We knew what we knew what lay on the other side. It wasn't like, I mean, this is what I've said to Johnny so many times is it's 282 Monroe's in Scotland. I've done 63 of them. We've done all this training because it's all been on Ben Nevis. I haven't got any higher. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not, I'm playing this game versus Scotland and Scotland's winning at the moment. Um, and we were just going back to Ben Nevis and the, the previous week we'd done two and the previous week before that we'd done a single um, and we'd done it the day before as well. So there was just no, I mean, this, this is the whole premise of the project really is that monotony, dread, a lack of excitement, 
a real element of doubt. Can I be bothered? Do I need to do this? Should I be doing this? What's the point? Those are all the things that were going through our heads. And it often comes up that people sort of ask, oh, how can you be motivated to do this? And a lot of the time... We, I mean, Hello, we're not. We, 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 all we've all we've done is put something out publicly, which means that now we've got to do it. It's um, yeah. it, it. I mean, there's, there's layers to that, but it's, there is, it's there is, there is. accountability and just setting a task, setting a structure, and getting the job done is all we're trying to do here. People have missed that so much in the sense of um, they assume that you know you as you know you've achieved great things in both of your sort of careers and lives and various different stages of it and not without the difficulties but people assume that well you're you're driven you're motivated so you can get up in the morning you can go do this this is the bit that people miss monotony dread loneliness and it's like well you know not comparing it at all but the other night um we had a really late finish and um i've got a i've got a very good uh got a very good coach coaching me right now and uh the I, I, that day i hadn't been able to get out on johnny's um on, on johnny's program and, and so I, I said i've got to go tomorrow morning and which meant because we had a full day i had to get up at sort of just after six o'clock which for most people probably isn't early but it was a sunday as well and uh so i went out and did it and it was like karen my wife was like you won't get up and it's like well i just will because i'm it's accountability to something that i've said i'm going to do and that isn't for johnny that isn't for anybody else it's it's for me and that's it's my accountability to myself and i think people miss that because they've not set their sight on actually what they're even trying to achieve whether it's your career like you mentioned earlier johnny or whether it's a specific challenge you need to set your sights on something specific right a hundred percent a hundred percent and that's one of the things that comes up most with me in just general conversation is that whatever your goals are doesn't matter how high, mighty, lofty, ambitious, or whatever. Just, just set them. I mean, I've had conversations with, oh, goals don't really work for me. I like going with the flow of things. It's like, well, that that might be the case, and that you're content going through the flow of things. But at the end of the day, goals give you frameworks. Goals give you timelines. Goals gives you things to fall back on. I use the phrase again: my north stars come in sort of sprints. I've almost got macro mesocycles of goals that that come and go and. I've already, I mean, I know I've mapped out my year next year. I know what it's going to look like from a physical point of view. I know what it's going to look like from a career point of view. And that might sound ridiculous thinking that far in ahead, especially given current circumstances. But if those goals can't happen, I will adjust them. But when I was younger, when I hadn't experienced my traumatic experience, had I had to adjust those goals, I would have failed because I wouldn't have hit the mark that I set myself. That's the difference. And ultimately, this project for us, is as much a challenge off the mountain as it is on. And part of the issue has been, I mean, I'm, I'm working sort of 10, 11 hours a day at the moment, plus training, plus I've just moved house, plus the project, get the project off the ground itself. So, I, I mean, I've been running on no more than five hours sleep a night for about three months now, which is not, I mean, Sundays for me, I'll go to bed on Saturday about 8 p.m. and just sleep until I wake up and that's sort of my catch up. But that's not sustainable nor a healthy existence, but... I can work with it because I know that there's goals that I'm doing it for. I know that it won't last forever. I know that there's a bigger purpose. There's a more fulfilling proposition coming as a result of that for me as an individual that outweighs just going through the motions with eight hours sleep for the rest of my life. People expect results from training without a purpose, or they expect to be competent in other disciplines for training without a purpose. When ultimately specificity is the king of all training and all we've done 
is map out what we're going to be doing, arrange our life around those goals, arrange our training around those goals, arrange our sort of mental conditioning around those goals so that we're in the best position possible to go up and down Ben Nevis three times in a day on a Friday. And the things that got thrown at us were very variability in heat, because obviously you go so much higher in Ben Nevis, the heat changes a lot. It got a lot hotter throughout the day, so then our salt balance got much more difficult to manage. We were just trying to get as much food down as possible. I'm much better at that than Johnny is because I'm just a fat, diabetic 14-year-old at heart, I think. Um, but it's it's a challenge that we all had to face. And I mean, the previous week, I was miserable because I, I was way too hot and I just got my salt balance wrong. And Johnny, this week, I think you, you got way too hot, didn't you? Because the, the temperature just skyrocketed. We were, we we're always in all black, obviously, because we don't, we, you know, we want to, we want to blend in. We want to, want to make the most of how we're approaching this mountain, intimidate it and stuff. Um, but we, we were, we were sort of probably a bit hotter than we should have been. And the constant stopping of starting from people meant that it was really winding us up, but we will have, I mean, it's just adaptation that, that, that frustration will now manifest itself as better preparation for tasks in the future. And I think that's, that's my favorite thing about endurance as a whole is that the catharsis and the learnings that you can, you can take from being in your own head for extended periods of time. 100% agree. We're talking about earlier about uh, Johnny going back to university and becoming a student and being a bit embarrassed by that. But I mean, I think I would class myself as a lifelong student now, you know, I'm always trying to, always trying to learn and you learn those more about yourself by by pushing yourself and testing yourself in a number of different ways not just not just physically but academically etc so johnny yeah. we spoke a lot about uh, training for this specific goal and and there's almost a monotony to that which um you want to talk to people from can you kind of try and explain to people the kind of uh the science and the thinking behind that, because obviously, you know, I know to you guys going up and down Ben Nevis or being on your feet for 12 to 15 hours, potentially longer in the next few weeks is, is an, isn't the greatest of challenges. It's, it's monotony that you're managing, but how have you, have you sort of scaled and, and, and trained for this specifically? Uh, I mean, you're, you're right there uh, to a degree. Uh, now I would say is that we are not in a position now where we feel like three maybe four times is going to be difficult because we're, we're uh, physically conditioned to that as Fergus was saying but we weren't I mean we, we weren't certainly I wasn't in a position uh, I, I'm coming back to this uh, from injury uh, uh, we, we could we could have another bleed podcast about the amount of times I've injured myself quite badly doing, doing not dissimilar things which is concerning <laughs> but the uh, the um, yeah so I've come back from a place where I wasn't particularly fit so I've had to get fit but the, the interesting concept is that nobody's nobody's done this. So I mean, how can you, and you can't get fit for this. You have to. Some of that fitness is going to kind of accumulate and con condition as we do it. So there's a certain point that we've gotten fit to, and that's what we've just been describing. And the only way to do that really is to reverse engineer it and have a look at sort of what we believe. And some of it's a little bit of guesswork, but what we believe that the the physicality of it is going to be, the mental uh, stuff comes with it and some of it is, is conditioned in as we do that because you have to kind of experience the physical to, to then comprehend what that's going to be like mentally. Fergus mentioned earlier on the specific adaptions, uh, the said principle, specific adaptions to impose demands. So we need to look at from a, a sports specific perspective, what it is that we're doing, what, what is physically we're attending to. And clearly that's going up and down the mountain a lot of times, but that's not just walking, it's not just sort of lunging and climbing. It's also creating a frame that's physically strong and robust enough to, to um, 
avoid injury, making sure that we understand the environment in which our bodies are, are being challenged. Uh, and so a lot of what we've done has been in the gym. We have two reasons for that. We've done a lot of work in the gym, actually three or four reasons for it really. But a lot of work physically in the gym, lifting weights and making sure that we're actually physically strong. Um, certainly I believe that's vital for any endurance work. A lot of endurance athletes may not subscribe to that quite so much, but uh, we certainly do. And then a lot of it has been because of time management. We can't literally just go there and spend two months climbing up and down Nevis to get used to climbing up and down Nevis to eventually climb up and down Nevis. We have to, we have to kind of mimic some of those things. So some of it can be mimicked, uh, the, the lunging and, and, and squatting and, and deadlifting and making sure our frame's robust. Uh, and some of it can't. Some of it has to be us actually getting up and getting our joints used to being on the mountain. So what we've done is a lot of what we call pre-fatiguing. So we'll make sure that uh, if we were to go up on a Saturday and do three climbs, that on the Friday we are actually in the gym and making sure that we're at, we're doing heavy, very intense leg sessions. Uh, uh, That's just an example. This isn't actually specific, but but something like that. That's actually going to mean that when we get on the mountain, the the, the muscles and, and the, the movement patterns that we're going to be using have already been pre-exhausted to a certain extent. So that we're getting on the mountain with a physical feeling of having already been on the mountain thing. So those days where we did uh, a climb on the Friday with the, or Thursday, I think rather, with the filming crew, and then three climbs on the Friday, we'd also trained for three, four days hard in advance of that. So we'd had a week of heavy training. So that we knew when we got there on the Thursday, we we're already tired deliberately we're already in a place physically uh, where we don't feel like we really want to do this much uh, and so that when we get on the mountain each each step is already challenging because if we went, went there fresh and ran up and down i've been up and down nervous in, in a fast time when i'm only carrying a, a pack of water and, and wearing a pair of shorts and it's a lovely sunny day but that's not realistic for what we're doing so there's been a lot of that there's been a lot of trying to manipulate the variables so that we're kind of trying to create or, or falsely create a, a, a similar environment for it and that's been it's it's not particularly tough. That sounds wrong to say, but it's like I say, you reverse engineer. We know what we're doing, and it's not all that different to looking at any other uh, sport-specific outcome. You need to just sort of break down those biomechanical needs, etc. Yeah. What is difficult is marrying that up with then, because you know, we can't pre-exhaust our mental fatigue particularly well. We can make ourselves tired, and, and knowing what we have to do is, is is enough of a kind of a sort of a slight adrenaline rush, and, and then you've got to handle all that kind of turnover of those particular hormones and things. But you, you, that's going to be the hard part. You describe in the kind of uh, that's something I wasn't aware of the kind of pre fatigue stuff. That almost describe it sounds similar to making sure you've got a pair of hobnail boots on before you kick yourself in the nuts, right? Um, it's <laughs> not doing Very it in good. a slipper; it's doing it with a set of toe, toe caps on. Um, but uh, I, I understand the science behind that. And, and I'm kind of, my, my mind's thinking how you, you're both obviously, you both have obviously, under, I'm thinking about the mental side of the challenge and how you, you can't really do that, apart from the sense of you've, you've heaped on a ton of accountability to doing this channel, uh, doing this challenge now. And, and that is going to be you know, this is that suffer as a privilege kind of mantra that sure. with that comes responsibility to all the people that are now watching have got eyes on what you're about to do. You could, you could say to your friend, you're going to just between the two of you go and do this, then tell the world you've done it. But that's not the goal because this is about um, the challenge and the challenge is about getting people to watch it, to buy into it themselves and actually go, do you know what? That is a cause I want to support. And obviously there's a goal here to, to help more and more people with that. So yeah. uh, you know, I've got I've got a huge amount of respect for you there for for kind of 
fessing up to this challenge as it, as it comes because it, there is an ever increasing amount of burden uh, coming on your shoulders and, and is it palpable are you feeling it yeah yeah i think well neither of us are, are, are averse to being honest about that in fact because and that helps us to be honest about it i think we both feel it we both be very honest with each other about it uh, I, I think we've probably both had these uh, kind of uh, you know hoping for a, a reason where it goes wrong uh, so we don't have to do it you know you get this little voice in the back of your head you know um that's all, that's all part of it though isn't it that's that's yeah, really, we're, yeah. trying, we're trying to be honest and whilst we're not sticking a camera in front of our face every day because we both have lots of other things um to do other than just document the project full-time sadly there are there are our own peaks and troughs every single day i mean there's there's stuff that we've got to deal with that's just a massive pain in the ass there's logistics we still haven't figured out there's a few things that we don't know how we're going to figure them out there's a few things that we're just hoping not to address until it's actually a problem <laughs> But there's a lot of things that we're trying to be as diligently uh, ahead of the curve as we can be as well, which is basically it's something we've spoken about, guys, in, 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 the, in the sense that we're sort of preparing for what you can't prepare for. And there's a lot of things that we can preempt, which comes through a place of experience, but there's a lot of things that we're not going to be able to preempt. So the more preemptive action we can get in place, and we've got some amazing people supporting us with all this, the more we'll have up our sleeves and... I mean, one of the one of the tactics that I've always implemented with ultras is I, I never ever run with music for the simple reason that when I'm really deep in a hole, when I'm lonely, it's three in the morning, I'm seventy miles down or whatever it is, I will reap the rewards of putting some music in or a podcast in or something a lot more than if I was completely used to it all the time. And it's exactly that is that we spend a lot of time in the hills together recently but the few weekends where we haven't been have been a lot more miserable because we've got used to having company if you speak from experience i, I always use the, always use this example and my brother will love it but um when i was a larger stronger power lifter 100 kilos and um not as aerobically conditioned as i am now we've, we've got a watt bike at my family house and my brother's a, a professional cricketer well semi-professional cricketer at the moment and he sat on the walk bike for an hour and I thought what the fuck how does anyone sit for a walk like doing the same thing for an hour genuinely my mind was blown I could not comprehend how anybody could sit there and stare at a wall for an hour and then three years later I've sat on a turbo trainer for 32 hours and it's, but it's the A to Z has got there purely by building up incremental steps. It's not like I'm just gifted with this ability to suffer. I used to be a whiny little child. I mean, my Duke of Edinburgh award, I ended up slowing everyone down and being a miserable dick the whole way just because I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be at home, nice, warm and comfortable. And it's, it's a constant acknowledgement that actually taking on the things that scare me, intimidate me and are more challenging are the right things to take on because what was once an unfathomable feat, which was simply sitting on a watt bike for an hour, is now a small, short session for me. And that that's not that's not I'm not saying that in any sort of like braggy way or anything like that, but it's just I I it still to this day blows my mind how relative a, a process this can be for anybody that sets their mind to improvement. We were we were talking at the start around uh, just before we hit record about Johnny Wilkinson a little bit. And people it's so easy for people to, to look at somebody like Johnny on this pedestal of um, achievement and go, yeah, but he's a bit of a freak because of uh, superhuman, 
built like he's built and privileged or bring in and you go no 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 you're missing you're missing all these incremental steps you know the michael jordan you know you're missing all the start every single day the diligence the time the effort the 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 honing his craft towards that i think it was lionel messi that said because he gets an awful lot of plaudits for how young he was when he started to get great achievement and he's like oh yeah yeah, yeah. i was a uh, 17 years six months to overnight success you know it was you know of hard work and that's that's how they view it they just their lives are just dedicated to this cause and you have found that in by the sounds of it ferguson whilst what was once mind-blowing stuff of well i'm never going to be able to i would never be able to sit on a, a what bike for an hour that's just insanity well actually of course you can and you know the amount of suffering and i'll use the word suffering this body can take is is pretty phenomenal really yeah. Um, I'm just conscious of time as I always get because I'm fascinated by this but I don't want to kind of talk forever because this is very much a part one because it was nice earlier hearing you um, say um, about the logistics and how there's still a lot of unknowns and challenges there and there's going to be people listening and, and having seen the video on here but will have seen the video on social media also and have jumped to a massive assumption that well, you've got the rogues involved, rolling rogues. Um, you've got all these, um, you've got through lot, you've got contact coffee, all involved and in helping you out. Everything's squared. You've, you've got all this sorted, but there's still a, a lot of gaps and there's a lot of gaps primarily on the logistics through funding and financial, I'm assuming. So, you know, how can people get involved? How can they um, help out if they, if they want to, um, whether that's logistically or financially? Um, What's the kind of what's the landing pad for people? Ruin that. Apologies. That's me. My reminder to take the bins out there. Um, take the bins uh, out. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll snooze that one. Anyway, the ways that people can help and get involved. First of all, is simply by finding what we're up to on social media, which is just at Fergus Crawley and at Jonathan Payne, and sharing it, telling their friends about it, commenting on it sharing how it's something that they can find some familiarity with because ultimately that's what's meaningful to us this is not a this is not an ego driven project this is not us wanting to set a world first for a self-supported endurance mission this is a this this is an example of putting one foot in front of the other to try and help others do the same in in their own version of whatever their mountain may be and the more openness that we can inspire as a, as a result of that will ultimately be what gets us to the final day because that's what's meaningful for us we've seen the results it can have and we're just really really passionately driven for that to be the case so that's number one number two is i know things are challenging at the moment economically and things are very uncertain but any donations that you can spare would be much appreciated easiest way to do that is to go to either mine or johnny's profile and just go to the link in our bios i will also be constantly sharing it at my stories so you can find it there um, word of warning as well caveated there number three you can basically manipulate project vertical into whatever you want it to be which is you can take on your own challenge your own mountain you can share your own story you can climb up and down three steps for 24 hours if you want to i don't care just any way that you want to get involved any way that you see as sufficient for you as a challenge something that is adverse it's all relative as we've said we want people to take this metaphor take this message and mold it to their own existence and that's ultimately the way that people can can do that so we've got some some people that are already sort of on board with that 
Um, number four, you can potentially COVID restrictions dependent come and join us on the hill for a day or two. If you want to do that, please do just send me a message on Instagram and I'll try and keep you in the loop depending on how things unfold. Number five, I mean, if there's anything you can offer, any way in which you can help in terms of you've got a car that's capable of carrying us down Ben Nevis or some sort of zip wire or anything like that, that'd be much appreciated. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge, and actually something that we haven't touched on today, is the fact that vertical descent does not contribute anything to the overall goal here, and that is the worst part of this whole thing. So loads of ways you can get involved. If you've got any creative ideas, please do just get in contact with us because we are not precious about this project at all. This is a project for, for people to make of what they want to, and the more interaction, the more people we can meet, the more conversations we can have, and the more conversations we can start as a result of this is ultimately the whole point. So please add to that as well. Fergus, the, um, the the bit that you've mentioned there about the project vertical, where, where people can get involved in, in their own way and, and lend support to the campaign, etc. When we look at it from our own personal perspectives, you know, it, it's huge for the campaign. It's huge for, for what we're doing uh, in terms of actually trying to drive the, the attention in the right direction. But it's also going to be huge for us. And Gaz and I talked about this before, in actual fact. And I don't know what you and I have, but it's worth anybody listening knowing that. We're, when we're aware, when we're up and down that mountain, the, the, the mental aspect, the, the, the kind of where our heads might go, it's going to be eased somewhat by knowing that others are kind of sharing in that journey. It's only going to be Fergus and I, well, it will only be Fergus and I, hopefully people will come and join us, but there'll be moments where it's just Fergus and I, and certainly Fergus and I are going to be doing it more, but knowing in the background or when we get that moment to kind of have a look in on the social media feed that there are people doing that is actually hugely uh, rewarding and hugely helpful for us uh, in that mental challenge. It's, uh, the accountability is huge for us. Uh, the fact that we've entered into this for all the reasons we described is huge, but knowing that there's people in the background doing something for us, uh, with us, is huge. So although that's not a direct way of contributing, well, I mean, it is, but that's, that's what I'm trying to say, is it's a hugely yeah. direct way of contributing. It really helps us personally to get through that so and it feeds into the fact that ultimately whilst johnny and i are getting through this together we're kind of forming our own little island where we're going to need external support as well because we'll be yeah. both be going through the same thing i think what, what i should mention as well is just to sort of get it in there is that the aim this year specifically is to raise forty-seven thousand one hundred and thirty-two pounds which seems like an ambitious goal but it's an ambitious project, so we're putting it out there. But that is to take the cumulative total from my previous two years, two years' efforts, plus our efforts this year to take that cumulative total to £100,000, which we just see as quite a neat way of rounding off this project, if possible. Um, so if anyone is willing to help, that would be much appreciated. Yeah, and I think it's a, I actually think it's a very achievable goal. I know we're in some crazy times right now, but ultimately... You know, there's there's some people with some deep pockets, and this is for a worthy cause, and it's a it's a, an awesome challenge. You know, I I know there's so much at the root of it, and I, I've tried to tease that out of you. Both of you are very good at vocalising it now, and and uh, fair play to you. But uh, there's a lot of people watching. There's a lot of people looking forward to seeing uh, how this goes. Um, you know, where there's a lot of people rooting for you first and foremost as well. So. Uh, I certainly wish you all the best on it. I'm hoping to see you up there a number of days. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be something that is, is going to really help a lot of people. And I know that's something that's close to your heart. And if you've got any final words for the people that are, are listening before we sign off. 
Nothing other than what I've said from 2018 onwards, which is to uh, be a man of more words. Simple as that. That's what I wish I had been. That's what I am now. And that's what I think you as the listener, if you're male, should be. The other thing I'd add is a huge thank you to all those who supported us so far. Donations are already coming in uh, and we're very excited about that. So um, thanks. Thanks for all the support so far. Hopefully see you on the other side of this with all the limbs that we started it still intact, which should be, which should be a bonus for me. All the, li- all the limbs will be good. I can't guarantee your toes. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, all right, guys. Well, again, um, this is very much part one, and uh, we look forward to seeing where this goes. And uh, I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Thank you.